This is session six. It's our second session on discipline. And we're talking about how we go to war um, against the things in our, in our kid that is keeping them from being what God wants them to be. And the way I've heard it said is we fight for our kids, not with our kids. That the discipline that we do is not done out of uh, personal vengeance or because they've inconvenienced us, but it's done out of love because we want them to become everything that God wants them to be. Absolutely. We're going to talk about some practical suggestions um, when you're in the moment of discipline, some things that you can do to sort of um, get those moments so that they're helpful in, in sort of developing this vision that God has um, for your kid. And also just help you think through that if uh, discipline is not prevalent in your mind, why that's kind of a problem too and why you need to really weigh this out and how it can be key. And you may never have thought of this, but the enemy wants to discipline your kids as well, but he does so in a fundamentally different way than the gospel would have you do it. So which one are, are you and I tending to go more toward the gospel or the enemy? You're going to learn your role as a father um, is different maybe than how you thought about it before. Uh, this might end up being one of our most helpful sessions, so we're pretty excited about it. Hold on for round two. So one of the most famous things that Jesus ever taught is going to be the big idea um, behind our session today when we are continuing to unpack what discipline um, is like for a gospel-centered parent with their, with their children. And that teaching is uh, where Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek. Uh, he's, Jesus said that if someone strikes your cheek, you should turn to him the other also. Um, want us to get our minds around what he is actually saying there. Um, when somebody you know strikes your cheek, first of all, they're not trying to kill you, right? I mean, of all the martial arts people that I know, none of them have ever said, if you really want to hurt somebody, go for the cheek. <laughs> um, in Jewish you know, parlance, the cheek represented the relationship. It was the face. And so when someone has struck your cheek, they have attacked the relationship. And so Jesus, you know, basically there's three options. If somebody strikes my cheek, option number one is I can go back for their cheek. Right, so I can I can I can give retribution, vengeance. You smack my cheek, I'm smacking yours back. Option number two is um, I can turn to them the same cheek. In other words, um, I'm just going to be passive, and I'm going to let you get away with striking my cheek. What Jesus is counseling, option number three, is to turn the other cheek, which means that I am re-offering the relationship to you. But what I'm doing is not saying we can have a relationship based on you striking my cheek. Because that would be turning to them the same cheek. I'm saying that I want us to have a relationship. I'm responding to you without malice. I'm responding to you without anger or vengeance. I'm re-offering the relationship to you, but we're not going to be able to get along if you just are striking my cheek all the time. Um, the big idea that we take into parenting is this, is that when we are disciplining our children, we have to ask the question of whether or not we're doing so out of personal vengeance or if we're doing so as an act of love that's trying to restore the relationship to them. We're giving um, this session the title, fight, fight for your kids, not with your kids. Because I'm not fighting with them, trying to pay them back for how they've just, I'm irritated that you inconvenience me. I, I, I'm doing this because I want to fight for you because I want you to have the relationship with me and with everybody else with God that, that you should have. Yeah, that, um, Andy Stanley says that um, you want to have the attitude of like, oh no, like now we have to, You've sinned, we need to restore you, take care of it, consequences, forgiveness, redemption, and restart. So it's mm -hmm. like, let's, let's, what can we do now? Let's, what do we do? And so it's like, 
kind of fighting with your kids. I know you just said something opposite, mm -hmm. but it's fighting with your kids against their sin, is what mm -hmm. Andy Stanley said. With my kid against his sin, the oh no attitude, like oh, you know, oh now we've got to we've got to deal with this because because we've got to we've got to we've got to stop this because this is destroying you yeah. and it's destroying your relationships. Yeah. And really, that's how God disciplines us, is it not? You know, Hebrews, it says that fathers discipline children for their good. Mm -hmm. Jesus actually took all the vengeance into himself mm -hmm. for our sin. Um, when God disciplines us, he's not paying us back for our sin because Jesus took the penalty for our sin. What he's doing now is shaping us. And he's saying, I'm not doing this to pay you back. I'm doing this to, to, to conform your character into what I need it to be. So here's the question I think we have to ask in every moment of discipline is, is, is there malice and, and wrath and a desire for vengeance that is dominating me when I am disciplining my child. Yeah, I think um, one practical implication of that is um, that we've tried to do is take time to cool down if you are angry, because sometimes you are gonna be about something they've done. So even if you, um, I've, we've sent our kids out of the room to go think about it and we take a few minutes to collect ourselves, calm down, talk to one another if we need to. Um, but you don't wanna be doing the discipline out of any kind of negative emotion. So that's one thing. Yeah, and, and, and just separating yourself from the situation and saying, I'm, I'm more irritated about how they've inconvenienced me or I'm, is it a righteous and holy love-based anger over what I see in them that's all oh, no, this is destroying you and your relationships. Yeah, and if it was more out of inconvenience, I think you wanna own that to your kid. That's one of my biggest faults and apologize that it was out hmm. of inconvenience. Uh, another practical um, uh, application of this is, is, is showing affection during the discipline process. Um, right before, um, right after, and during the discipline process. One of the things that we'll, um, we'll do is, um, you know, I actually, uh, you know, try to embrace my children uh, around that discipline time. Now, they're not always super excited Sometimes about being like, embraced, uh... but the idea is, is even if they're resisting it a little bit, I, I, I want them to know that what I'm doing, I'm not doing because I'm angry at you of how you've inconvenienced me. I'm doing this really for your good because I, because I love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think another thing that is really good to do is to pray with your child. You know, when you see a good moment about what's happening in them or um, what's going on in their heart, like to sort of talk about that, especially if you see the chance where um, if they're broken about it, to pray about it. That's a really good. Yeah, and just to say, hey, we're, we're gonna war together over this sinful attitude in you. And so I'm gonna pray with you about what, what it is needs to be corrected because I mean, it's almost like a cancer. If I love somebody and they have cancer, then I, I'm with them against their cancer. We're gonna to go to war against that cancer. And so let's, let's pray together about this attitude in you. And, and like Veronica just said, yeah, I'm, I'm already acknowledging this, this cancer's in me too. Yeah. And I, I want you to pray for me that God will help me to, yeah. um, you know, to, to do that as well. Um, I think a, a, another dimension of this is, is speaking a positive vision over them um, in discipline. And it may not be in the moment of discipline necessarily. It may be, but like also just in general. I right. Think you need to yeah, yeah, right, right. That, that I want my kids to know that I'm disciplining what is wrong in them because I believe in what is right in them or what, what is right that God is doing in them. Discipline ought to be positive and visionary before it is negative and corrective. Um, we tend to, um, I think with all relationships, but especially our children, we tend to assume the positive and notice the weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And so we'll end up talking to them more about what they've got wrong than the, the image of God we see in them. And we just like to try to reverse that and say, let's assume the weaknesses. And if anything, notice the positives mm -hmm. and call out God's grace in them, call out what God is, is, is doing in them, um, you know, to, to paint a vision for them of what God is, 
is, is called them to and, and help them, or you know, the way I've heard it said is, is hold a crown over their heads and, and help grow them up into it. Um, we as parents are responsible to create an identity for our child. Identity is almost always created from the outside. It's what the most important people in your life say about you. So I don't want my children, when they think about how I spoke into their life, I don't want them thinking about the fact that I just pointed out constantly, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. You know, for every, for every one negative thing I say to them, I, I want there to be five positive things that I just overwhelm them with. Um, I think about my dad, um, how, how well he did this for me. Um, you know, my dad, I always knew that he was my biggest fan. I always knew that he believed in me. And, and in many ways, because of him and some other men in my church, I felt like I became the man that they always told me that I, I should be or that I could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that stuck, stuck out to me when I did a study earlier, my kids are a little bit younger, was um, if you have to err on one side or the other, uh, this is definitely something I struggled with. Do I want them to err or sort of remember me in general as being someone who spoke mostly positive and mostly encouraging? are mostly negative and mostly critical. And so when you think about take stock of a day or take stock of a week, and if you really think about it, it does feel a lot of times like almost all of the things I was saying to my kid were more towards the negative category if they're gonna be categorized. So that's something to really mm -hmm. try and change, you know? When you know somebody loves you, then naturally your heart just becomes more open to what they have to say about what's wrong in you. I mean, I think the way that I've heard it said in other contexts is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and then they, um, they're more open to the things that you're saying to them. Uh, some of the best advice that I've ever received on parenting was from um, a pastor named Larry Osborne, who um, has pastored a big, successful mega church and um, you know, written lots of books and just, you know, he's just in every way a success. And I asked him one time, I said, I said you know, Larry, what is, what's your proudest thing of being a pastor? And he said, he said, my proudest thing is that every child of every staff member that has ever served with me in a significant way have all grown up to love Jesus and go into at least at least love the ministry and not resent the church. And I said, well, what would you what would you tell me as a guy with with young children at that point? Um, he said, he said, he said, your kids don't need a pastor. Your kids need a dad from you. He said, and the mistake that guys like you make is you're so pastor gifted that you just, you just think about what people need to hear, how they need to be exhorted, what's wrong. And he said, that's just not what your kids need. Your kids more than that need a dad and a dad's just super excited about them. A dad believes in them. A dad just is always talking about them and is excited about their future. A dad is at their games. He says, he says you be your big kid's biggest fan. And he says, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but he says, and let somebody else play the role of pastor because they live with you and what they need from you is they need you to be a dad. Tell them about the thing that we did um, for... I was thinking, yeah. Um, we did this thing that uh, we want to... One of our daughters has turned 10. She's our oldest. So um, we want to continue it with our other ones. When she turned 10, we kind of wanted to mark the occasion. And we did this, like, we had a friend help us make a printable with her name and um, the verse we have for her. And then, like, we talked to all of our close family members and even a couple of um, good friends and asked the things they saw developing in her, some of her gifts, her talents, her strengths. And we put those into this like um, kind of a pretty, you know, thing that we could frame. And so we wrapped that up and gave it to her and it's right by her bed and she gets to see every day, um, you know, what the people around her see that God is doing in her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been really good. And we want to do it's that for each child. It's painting that positive vision that we're trying to grow them up into yeah. and affirming their identity. I think one of the things that, that parents may ask and struggle with is, uh, 
what do I do when my children are grown or they're teenagers and I feel like I've missed an opportunity to do some of those things yeah. when they're young and, and have them where they're really maybe more yeah. moldable. Right. What I would say, Will, is um, for me, I'm going to go back and apologize mm -hmm. and just try to get it right and start building from there. Yeah. yeah, the principle never changes. You know, the gospel always speaks to where you are right at that moment mm -hmm. and says, this is what's gone before. Mm -hmm. And this is what God intends for your future. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very powerful moment. I mean, that's part of teaching your kids the gospel to yeah. say, you know, hey, this is where I, I focused on something wrong or I. Yeah. And, and here, here's the vision that God has for me. And here's the vision that God has for you. So yeah. I, I would think, you know, it's it's there are there are two ways that we are convicted about our sin. Mm -hmm. One of them comes through Satan and the other comes through the Holy Spirit. Um, our enemy loves to point out our sin. In fact, one of the names for Satan in the Bible is the accuser of the brethren. Um, the Holy Spirit, when he convicts of sin, he does it differently. The Holy Spirit points you to the gospel and to what God has, you know, died and resurrected for you to become. And then points out your sin as the things that are keeping you from that and, and the things that are destroying and harming you. Um, Satan takes what you've done and he uses it to tear down your identity. Mm -hmm. And he says, these things that you've done, they mean that you are condemned and this is your future. What the gospel does is it starts with this declaration that you're righteous and God has intended this for you and the sin is keeping you from that. Mm -hmm. I was um, with uh, my two um, oldest daughters. Uh, I think at the time one of them, my oldest was six and, and Allie, my uh, youngest was four. And we're in the car and um, my oldest daughter had for years had a problem with. She's, she's cautious. Yeah, she's cautious. She never wanted to try anything new. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I couldn't get her to, I don't know, try new foods, go on uh, roller coasters, skydive, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, uh, you know, like, but it really was this issue. She just was so cautious. And so I said, um, uh, she, she, we were talking about something and I, about her try, like, I think riding this little like, like fair rider, yeah, fair rider or something. And she was like, "Oh, Dad, I can see the worry getting in her face." And I said, "Carrie, you know, at some point, you just got to decide that you are going to face life courageously." And she kind of looks down and she, she says, "I know, Dad. Sometimes I feel like I'm just a big scaredy cat." Now, to be honest with you, I was a little irritated because I feel like I'm trying something else, and she's backing out from it. And I said, and so I looked up. This is not my finest parenting moment. I look in the rearview mirror at her and I was like, that's right, Karis. And you're going to miss out on a lot of life because you do, you are, you, you're very afraid and you, you know, you, you are way too cautious. I said that and I'm looking over at my four-year-old who's just looking at her with the sweetest little face. And she says, you are not a scaredy cat, Karis. You're my big sister. And I remember that moment thinking, now my four-year-old is playing the role of the gospel and I'm playing the role of Satan <laughs> because I'm tearing down who she is and my youngest daughter is holding up a vision of what she, she should be and, and, and urging her up into that. Um, Martin Luther famously said that our sin speaks words against us. It tears down our identity. God doesn't deny that. He doesn't deny our sin. Luther said God speaks a louder word to us in the gospel that drowns out all of our, our faults. The point is that we speak louder words in the gospel, giving them a vision that drown out these things. And then we approach it with the attitude of not, of you've hurt me and I'm inconvenienced, but I'm with you against your sin because I believe in what the gospel is doing in and through you. Gospel changes everything and how we discipline. So why don't we take some time just in discussion to unpack what, what the gospel's implications are for, for our lives.